It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. I'm joined on the line by Minister of Foreign Affairs and Defence, uh, Simon Coveney. Simon, good morning morning pj thanks for having me on it's been a while and so. good to speak good to speak with you minister you. but that's the general feeling i think uh, as we emerge into this week that we're inevitably staring down the barrel of more restrictions yeah well i mean i heard uh, i certainly hope that that's not the case but i think that that a lot of people are talking that way now and that is understandable because we've seen a dramatic increase really in the last number of weeks just in the number of people testing positive uh, and of course that's had an implication as well within our hospital system um, you know as we see now close to 670 COVID patients in our hospitals and 125 in ICU which is putting enormous pressure on the system here in Cork but in you know right across the hospital network nationally so in government we have to watch that closely uh, we have to speak to our public health experts and to those in the HSE uh, and we do regularly in government before we make the kind of decisions that we made last week. So, you know, as the as the chief medical officer, Tony Hoolan, said this morning uh, on national radio, the people who get COVID in the month of December, um, you know, they haven't got it yet. Mm. Uh, and uh, and nothing is inevitable here. Uh, and with a collective effort, uh, we can reduce the spread of this of this mm. virus and we can reduce it dramatically we've shown that and we can do it without severe restrictions coming in yeah but we already uh, have we already have in the hospitals very hard decisions being taken like a transplant operation cancelled like that they don't come much bigger yeah. decisions than that no they don't uh, and you know that, that that was a very serious incident and you know i don't believe the doctors involved would have made that decision unless they were under enormous pressure so that's why the government did act last week now, that's why we introduced the um, uh, the 12 o'clock limit in relation to late bars and nightclubs. That's why we've asked people to work from home where possible. Um, that's why, you know, we have been, you know, very vocal in terms of the use of antigen testing, uh, in terms of what it's appropriate for and what it's not appropriate for. Because we know that last week, you know, close to one in five adults in Ireland used an antigen test. And, and we want to make sure that people are using antigen tests for their benefit, as opposed to getting uh, false reassurance. Are they going to be subsidised? Uh, perhaps, yeah. I, I mean, I think there's a good chance that, that the Minister for Health will, will come with a recommendation to Cabinet this week. Like, I have, I have people texting me from the UK, Minister, Irish people living in Leeds and living in Manchester, yeah. telling me that they have as many as they want for free from the NHS. Yeah, but, you know, the, the COVID numbers numbers in the UK aren't anything to write home about. 
Uh, um, you know, they, That's hardly the they, point. They can get free antigen tests. No, no, yeah, no, but the point is that we have to make sure that we're using antigen tests in the right way. Uh, and just because they have been used perhaps more in the UK than in Ireland doesn't necessarily mean that that's had a positive effect. That's the point I'm making. So I think we will reduce the cost of, of antigen tests. I think we're likely to see more antigen tests used. Um, I think there's a really good use for them because it's, it's essentially like a sort of a, a screening system uh, within the workplace, uh, on student campuses, within schools. Uh, if people are asymptomatic, and they want to check if they have COVID or not. If they're going to, if they're going to event an event, or if they're going to visit somebody that may be vulnerable, uh, taking an antigen test certainly gives reassurance mm-hmm. uh, in terms of knowing whether you're carrying COVID or not. What antigen tests, from what we're told by the CMO, and I believe him, uh, are not particularly good at is testing people who are symptomatic. In other words, if you've got a heavy head cold, if you've got a temperature, uh, you need to be getting a PCR test and you need to be self-isolating until you get that test, mm-hmm. as opposed to getting uh, to taking an antigen test, uh, it giving you a negative and assuming that you're okay. So, so antigen tests have been used for many months. I mean, people talk about antigen testing in Ireland as if we've never used them. They've been used for a year now uh, in places like um, you know residential care um, settings, uh, in meat factories, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, lots of lots of companies use antigen testing. That's why you know last week one in five adults took an antigen test, um, and and they have a very useful purpose uh, in screening people and uh, allowing people to reassure themselves that they're not carrying COVID. But if you're symymptomatic, an antigen test is not. What you should be using, you should be getting a PCR test, even if you have to wait for a day to get it. Might I ask uh, about schools, Minister? Because the the tracking and tracing and searching of cases in schools was paused, yeah. and the word from education and all the people contacting us from within the education system is that the schools are riddled with COVID. And over the weekend, Virgin Media did a good expose on it. A guy called Rob Hanrahan, and he said his the conclusion was we're we're not seeing it because we're not looking for it and the schools are alive with covid right now well i mean uh, pj all we can do is follow the public health advice that we have as politicians in government you know i'm not a well can you not say to them are you sure about that i mean is that not the job of government to say to dr hulahan or dr glind are you sure about that lads well i believe me we say that you know before last week's cabinet meeting the night before when we were making decisions in relation to COVID, it was a five-hour meeting. And for the first two hours of that, uh, the public health team were very much interacting, taking questions from people like me and others um, to really try to test uh, their their thinking on it. Um, the decision was made in September um, that, um, uh, that uh, contact tracing, as we had been doing it in schools, was no longer necessary, that schools by and large are a... Uh, are a safe place. The re- um, and most of the infection um, that we see in schools comes from uh, from the home or from other for, from some other setting. Then, then why but are teachers going completely against that view? Why are parents but, against that yeah, view? Because they're very concerned, and we have thousands of students who are currently out of school. Uh, because either they have symptoms or because they've tested positive. And we also know that children under the age of twelve are also not vaccinated. You know, and therefore, uh, don't have the same levels of protection as people older than them. And I mean, I have three children in that category, and I just brought them to school. So, uh, um, you know, parents need to be very aware of the presence of COVID in children. And if your children do do have symptoms, uh, you should keep them out of school. Uh, and of course, if there is um, uh, somebody with symptoms, 
um, in school, well, then they need to get tested. Right. And look, we're, we're going to keep this under uh, review. I mean, cost isn't the issue here, uh, PJ. We are simply following public okay. health advice. In just terms just of on, the, on the subject of keeping keeping children home if they're symptomatic, and, and I'll, I'll move on to other matters after this, unless people have other questions, but in terms of, say, little Johnny has symptoms or suspected yeah. of carrying, like, mum or dad has to stay home. It's it's four and a half weeks to Christmas. Who's going to pay mum or dad if they don't go to work? Well, look, I mean, uh, the, I mean, this is, this is a challenge for every family with children, uh, and it's been a challenge for for 18 months now through COVID. Um, first of all, we're asking people to, uh, we're asking adults uh, who are working to work from home if they can, and we're, af- we're asking employers to facilitate that. Um, that's the first thing. Um, but but if, if your child has symptoms, um, uh, well then uh, you need to get them tested uh, and you need to, mm. to keep them at home. That is, that, that is an inconvenience. We know that. It can be an expensive inconvenience. Well, I mean, look, I mean, the... So many people are out there, you don't work, you don't get paid. Yeah, I know that, which is why if people need to t- uh, need to take sick leave, if they have symptoms themselves, um, um, uh, the government is supporting that. I mean, mm-hmm. and in terms of... In terms well, what of about the children, Minister? The, the children are home. Mom has to stay or dad has to stay and mind the children. Dad or mom aren't getting paid. It's four and a half weeks to Christmas. Yeah, but PJ, you know, as well as I do, any parent that has a sick child has to try to work around that in terms of work. That's nothing new. And if we have to get, if we have to get um, a, a child tested from a PCR test point of view, um, well then, um, that's, that's like having a sick child that you need to keep them home. Yeah. There's um, a, of course, there's a, another problem with getting the PCR test. Once again, all the online slots are gone today. Yeah, so, so, so I mean, we're doing, um, you know, within the, the COVID centres, you know, up to 23,000 tests a day at the moment, and then private tests on top of that. So, you know, in Ireland, there's a huge amount of testing going on. Um, uh, that, is a, that is a pressure on the system. We want to be able to get tests uh, for people straight away if we can. If there's a delay of a day or so, well, then that is, of course, an inconvenience. Uh, but we're working to, um, to up the capacity all the time. But, I mean, you know, like, I think people do understand uh, that, that there aren't perfect solutions here. You know, we are living through a, a, a pandemic that is extraordinarily demanding. And take a look at what's happening across Europe. And I, 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 I opened with enough. that point. We're not the only country in Europe with, with problems. And I think people should we take an eye aren't. across that. We're but, not. We are, yeah. but we are the country. And like, just you know, to focus on the positive for a second, because there is so much negative there. I know that. But like, Ireland has probably had the most successful vaccination program of, of any country in the mm. European Union. And yet our hospitals are bursting at the seams. Yes, exactly. But, 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 but virtually, virtually everybody, particularly in ICU, uh, is either somebody who hasn't been vaccinated or else there's somebody with, uh, who has been vaccinated but has an underlying condition that makes them vulnerable. Did you miss so, the ball by not increasing the number of ICU beds in the pandemic? I mean, they've only gone up by the actual fully staffed and available number of beds yeah. in ICU. Hasn't gone up by more than a dozen in the 12 months, you know? Yeah, but it is, but it is increasing all the time. But I mean, but but actually increasing formal ICU beds and staffing them fully with all of the um, uh, nursing uh, staffing requirements and so on is not straightforward, particularly at a time when we have an awful lot of our um, um, uh, health workers actually out sick themselves with mm, COVID. Okay. So, so we are committed to significantly increasing ICU beds uh, and uh, the current pandemic... <laughs> with with all due respect, governments have been committing to increasing ICU beds 
kids since I was in short pants in school. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, but we are actually doing it at the moment. Like we have more ICU beds, significantly more. Well, uh, a dozen maybe is the wrong word, but we have more ICU beds now than we had twelve months ago. Maybe a dozen. We've done that through through the pandemic. Uh, I'm actually in the Mercy Hospital in the next couple of hours, talking to management there in relation to how they're how they're coping. And I've spoken to people from from CUH as well. So we are we are investing in more beds generally, mm-hmm. but also more ICU beds. Uh, and I think that is a big lesson. Do you know all those pandemic. doctors and nurses that came back to answer the call? Like so many of them were never used. We could have staffed a few beds with them. Well, an awful lot of them were used as well. Um, that's why they came back because they were, they were offered, they were offered short-term contracts and so on. And that was a, that was an extraordinary effort. But I think the focus now has to be PJ on protecting people. And that means people who haven't been vaccinated getting vaccinated. It means that people who are who are eligible to get their boosters, actually getting those boosters mm. as uh, as quickly as we can provide them, because we know that the, that the levels of protection from vaccination and in particular boosters keeps a lot of people out of hospital. I know you offered to put some literal logistic experience behind that last week. Was it taken up? Neil, 5% of adults in Ireland haven't been vaccinated, yet 54% of people in ICU mm-hmm. are, are unvaccinated. Um, and, and, you know, and the other uh, 45% or, or, or so are people who, who, who are vulnerable to infection. Mm-hmm. Um, Even with a vaccination, they're still vulnerable. Yeah, I just, yeah exactly. can I just move on a little bit because there's one or two course, other yeah. things. Um, people asking whether the, the curfew will be brought back a bit earlier on. I think we'll only know that in the next couple of days. But what is the feeling on it, do you think? The, the, the no, hospitality look, I mean, curfew. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once, it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Yeah, yeah. I, I look, like, this was, this was a a decision that I know is very tough for many people who were operating businesses, people who'd been closed for a very long time and, and they were only open for, you know, for three or four weeks. Uh, and, and all of a sudden now they're being asked to accommodate restrictions again. I know that's difficult. I know a lot of businesses are struggling as a result of that in terms of nightclub owners and late night bars and so on. But, you know, the, the strong advice that we've had throughout this pandemic is that large numbers of people gathering in, you know, relatively tight space, drinking alcohol, dancing, interacting, socializing, which is what people do mm. in, in nightclubs. We know that that is a, a cause of, of infection spread. And so, so we felt that because the numbers were, were increasing as they were, because our hospital system was under as much pressure as it is, that actually we had to wind back um, uh, the level of you know, removal of restriction, if you like, somewhat, which is why we've asked people to work from home again where possible. And, and we've said that, look, you, you know, um, nightclubs, you know, operating as normal, mm. uh, we know is adding to the problem. And look, that's not an easy thing for, for people involved in this sector to hear and for a lot of people who want to be able to go clubbing and so on. 
But look, not even a matter of going clubbing. It's it's gone for a quiet pint in the run up to Christmas because people are saying we won't be able to do that. I just have before I, I just well, got some numbers on my screen here. With that's the whole point. We're, no, no, but sorry, the whole point of the decisions we made last week, which is to actually put uh, a time restriction of not after midnight, uh, uh, because we know that that's when most people dance and uh, and interact. Uh, and are, are, are in bigger groups and so on. The mm-hmm. whole point of doing that was to try to keep the rest of hospitality yeah, open. You, 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 so you're going to open a whole a lot more point. house parties is the other side of that. I just got some numbers in front of me here, Minister, which are very interesting. Coming back to where we said about the, you know, the, those who came back to volunteer, uh, out of 14,000 who did, less than 200 were actually used. Well, PJ, I mean, I, I just don't know where those figures are coming from, but I'd like I'd like to test them. I don't believe that if fourteen thousand people came home to work, two hundred people ended up working. I mean, I, I but I look. I mean, I, I'll happily get you get your figures from the HSE in relation to that. Some people did come home mm-hmm. um, without actually uh, an understanding of of where they were likely to be uh, to be able to be used in the health system. But many many people came and worked on a voluntary basis, whether it was in testing centres. Yeah. Um, or, or whatever you yeah. know and um, people so, are again asking you know, me here now on the phones and this is what's coming in like is the reaction are we slow are we behind the game uh, you know should we should we just go and shut the hell down for three weeks borders and all and just try to yeah, just but, try to squash it you know yeah but I know the conversation we'd be having if we made that decision last week today you and I would be talking about businesses that are closing uh, people without work um, a, a huge support package being necessary again. Uh, you know, are we overreacting? Um, uh, is there no benefit to having you know ninety three or ninety four percent of our population vaccinated? You know, so so no matter what decision we make, uh, and we live in a democracy. You know, those decisions will be challenged, mm-hmm. questioned, criticised, and that's the way it should be. And as they should because be. Because these, okay. are, these, are, these are really important decisions. It's about saving lives. Like, that's yeah. how important it is. Okay. Um, and, and, and protecting our healthcare system and our hospitals through winter. And they're under and, huge And they're creaking and bursting at the seams at the moment. So here's hoping something, ha- something comes right in the next couple of weeks. Can I yeah, ask I you about can, Sean, Sean Binder, by the way, because yeah, yeah. he I've spoken to Sean and to his mother on this programme over the last number of years. What's, is, is he really facing 20-odd years in jail? Well, I mean, look, I, I, I mean, his future will be determined by by a, a court in, in Greece. I mean, we're, we're working with, um, with, with Germany on this case. So, you know, Sean, as you know, is a German citizen. He's not an Irish citizen, but of course he has very strong connections with Ireland and he's been living here. Um, since um, since I think about 1999 or so, so so we're watching this case closely. Um, we've met Sean through our embassy in in Athens, and our consular team are are working, as I say, with uh, with their counterparts from Germany to make sure that that he's given all of the rights and protections um, that he deserves in law. But we do have to be careful here because this is going through a legal process uh, in another European country, um, and so we will very much be with him through that process uh, and ensure that he is he is treated fairly um, and obviously the the sooner that that court process can conclude the better um, because um, we know for, for example that there was a trial on the 18th of November which was just last week um, and um, effectively the trial didn't take place at all it was adjourned immediately and referred to a higher court mm. uh, and we don't have a date now for uh, for the next court hearing. 
but look, we are talking to Sean and we'll continue to, uh, to talk to him and support him, as indeed are, um, are the, um, the German embassy as well in Athens. With regard to the few weeks to Christmas and people buying, and again, I suppose, looking online an awful lot, but trying to buy, is there, uh, what is your department doing to make sure of supply chains being solid coming from, you know, across the EU and elsewhere? What are you doing to make sure supply chains hold up for people? Well, I mean, I mean, first of all, supply chains are holding up. You know, so there there has been a, a Brexit effect. We know that this year in relation to some businesses, uh, particularly if you're sourcing and your supply chain is linked to the UK and products produced in the UK. And there's an, an awful lot of increased paperwork and sometimes delays and costs as a result of that. But in general, uh, Ireland has adapted to, to Brexit in an extraordinarily uh, positive way. Um, uh, in terms of the, the predicted delays and pressures and costs. And, and our revenue commissioners are working with businesses mm. to try to keep improving that in terms of products coming through our ports. Um, and we'll continue to do that. Of course, we have different challenges in relation to Northern Ireland and the Northern Ireland Protocol on Brexit that we're working on as well. But in general, supply chains into Ireland have adapted to new realities. We've seen a dramatic increase in the number of direct ferry traffic now mm. uh, um, servicing mainland Europe, if you like. And lots of companies have simply readjusted their supply chains. Mm. I know it's a small thing, but there's a concern this morning about a supply of Christmas trees. I know in the, big, in, the, in the big picture it's a tiny thing, but that's the concerns people have. Well, yeah, I wasn't aware of that, although I, um, I, I just don't have the stats on Christmas trees. The artificial yeah. trees that we should be getting, they're all yeah, stuck yeah, on yeah. tankers. I mean, there was a time when I was in the Department of Agriculture, I would have been able to give you that, give you an answer to that question off the top of my yeah. head. But I'm, but I, uh, um, you know, uh, okay. uh, my, my, we, we generally source a Christmas tree, certainly from Irish suppliers, and I'd encourage oh, other people. Down the road around the corner, I was talking about the artificial ones since you're stuck on trucks from halfway around the world. They, they can't, yeah. they can't yeah, well, we get have in. a lot of good... Yeah, we have a lot of good companies in Ireland that are supplying Christmas trees, and I'd encourage people to support local businesses if they yeah, can. There hasn't been a great crop here either as well, according to the weather, but there's nothing you can do about that, I guess. Lots of people want me to come back to the COVID issue and, course, and look, yeah. looking at Austria now and the situation there, and Germany have already announced as well that they may consider mandatory vaccination going down the road of no jab no job in certain sectors is that something the government should consider to get those who simply will not not those who cannot but those who simply will not to force them on side i don't think that's a good idea why not um, and uh, well let me explain why so first of all the vast majority of, ad of adults in ireland have been convinced by the science um because it's undisputable in my view um, that actually getting vaccinated is the right thing to do. So we are at about 94% of our population vaccinated now. And and that population are, uh, is is increasing each year by, or sorry, each each day uh, by, um, by, by more and more people deciding, having thought about it, that actually getting vaccinated makes sense. There is a small group of people who, for whatever reason, um, are very nervous and sceptical. Simply refusing. Let's call it what it is. Yeah. Simply yes, refusing for the sake of refusing. Yes, PJ, but in my view, many of those people who've made their decision not to be vaccinated, and I, you know, I think it's the wrong decision, but, but for them, 
they they believe it's the right decision. I don't believe changing the law necessarily will force a lot of those people to be vaccinated. Instead, it'll cause an enormous amount of rancor and tension with people. Um, and so what we need to do and, and what we've done very successfully, better than virtually any other country in Europe, is to persuade people through argument and science. Irish people don't respond well to being forced to do things. They want to be persuaded uh, uh, to to do that, and that's why the government's strategy, which has been successful, because as I say, ninety four. But you know yourself, for the vast majority of us, we don't need forcing, but there will be those who do. Yeah, and that's and just in life know, in general, you know. Yeah, yeah, and if you speak to doctors and nurses who are working in ICU and in hospital, you know, the truth is, it is the five or six percent of people who've chosen not to be vaccinated that are putting immense pressure on our hospital system. You know, and that's a responsibility that people need to reflect on too. So, so if we, you know, if we had 100% of our adults vaccinated, we would have far less people in ICU and far less people in hospital. We know that. Yeah. Uh, and that's why, you know, the, the argument here is not just asking people to be vaccinated for their own health. It's also asking people to be vaccinated, to be part of a collective effort uh, to actually reduce the spread of this virus and the danger in hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, this is this is something that I hope people will listen to. They are listening to because, as I say, we have a higher number of people vaccinated than any other country, I think with the exception of Denmark, which is at about the same figure. Gibraltar as, as well has 100% Europe. of its population, but yeah. I, I, yeah, but that's a tiny population. Yeah, yeah you know, I know, so, but it's still 100%. So, I, okay, L- last one, and I know you're probably going to scream at me for asking you this, but look, oh, yeah. 2016... We had the first the sod on the event centre. Any chance of a second sod, <laughs> let alone a few yeah, bricks? Look, yeah, look, I mean, I've taken a lot of heat on, on this project. Um, you know, all I can say to you is that at every point when, when this project has nearly failed, uh, we have prevented that from happening and we've kept it afloat. This project is still afloat. It is going to happen, in my view. It is making progress. There are a couple of things... In I our lifetime? To talk to you about, but, no, look, yeah, look, I can understand the cynicism here, right? And I will really enjoy being on your radio show when actually we see this building started. But it is moving forward. Uh, the two key parties, BAM and, and Live Nation, are spending money on this project to move it forward. And the state has committed 50 million euros to this project. And I can tell you, I spoke to Anne Darty, the, um, uh, the chief executive of the city council this morning on, on the event centre, uh, and uh, and things are moving forward and happening in a way that I'm quite happy with. I have to say, but but I but I can't talk about uh, for for obvious reasons because we we're, we're trying to move. Might forward, we see uh, a shovel in the 2022? So uh, yes, I think so. Um, and uh, I mean, there is some uh, internal design work to be completed still, um, but I think um, there's a very good chance okay. that we'll see this this project actually starting construction next year. All right. Um, but I, I mean, look, I mean, I've given so many dates in the past that I know people are... You know better than to give another cynical. one, I think, is what you're telling me at this stage. I, yeah, I do. But I, but I do want to say to people, look, you know, I mean, I could have simply you know, accepted this this project was gone years ago and I could have blamed other people for it and so on. We've never done that because this is a project that Cork needs, badly needs. It's totally unacceptable for me that a city the size of Cork with the ambition that we have doesn't have a large indoor event centre to hold international events and concerts and so on. And Cork people having to go to Dublin mm-hmm. for an awful lot of their entertainment, uh, you know, in terms of big venues. 
that's just not acceptable in the future, given mm. the ambition we have for growth in Cork. So this is a project that is essential okay. for the city. It is going to happen. The government's going to put 50 million euros into it. And it's going to be run by, you know, one of the largest event management companies on the planet in Live Nation. You know, and that is a great story. Okay. It's taken a lot longer than it should have. I know that. And I've taken my share of blame for that. Um, but I do think this is this is on track to... Okay. Um, uh, for construction to start next One year. has come in and literally, I suppose we probably have maybe 30 seconds at most. Do you have an interest in getting behind the saving of Owen Accorda, Minister? I just don't know the details of that now. Um, but if, if, if the person who's calling you wants to call me directly in the, uh, uh, either directly on my mobile or in the office uh, in Carrigaline, I'll, I'll happily talk to, uh, to them in detail about it. Uh, right. okay. That's no problem. Um, okay, I just wanted to bring it to you. Thank you very much for being with us, Minister for Foreign Affairs and Defence, Simon Coveney. Thank you. Courts 96 FM. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.